I'm Beth Whitworth, race car driving, quilt making, CPA firm owning, wife, mom, and boss. I'm here to help you build a business you love by sharing all of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the excellent sides of working in this industry. It's not always easy, but after many years, I can finally say it's worth it. Let me guide you on your journey to accounting with confidence. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Accounting with Confidence podcast. I'm Beth Whitworth, your host, and today I have a topic that I think many of us struggle with, and I wanted to talk about the word no. So in our profession and as a woman in our profession, sometimes it is difficult to have confidence in the word no. And what I mean by that is being able to know where you stand on certain things, whether it's what services you provide, what types of clients you want to work with, how you go about severing connections, whether it's, you know, you need to let a client go or you need to be able to be confident in not accepting every client. And that was something that has been a learning process for me over the years. And I so wish I would have learned to embrace the word no sooner. Now, currently, I really work towards um, using the word no when it comes to really protecting my calendar when someone wants to hop on and and get involved in in a deep conversation or needs to talk to me, I protect that. I don't let people get into my calendar without at least 24-hour notice, especially this time of year when we're into the busy season. And for some people, that's kind of a no-go. They don't want to work with somebody who won't pick up the phone any time, day or night. Well, I know that's not the kind of client I want. And I never have. I don't necessarily share my cell phone number with all my clients. That's a a line that I don't like to cross. I have a handful of clients and, and people who have been with me for a very long time. And we've become more than just tax preparer client relationship. It's we've become friends. We know about each other's families. We know all of those things. And and so that's a different a different line. But for the most part, you know, that's a hard no for me. You know, I don't share my cell phone. I don't want to text with you all hours of the evening and I protect my calendar. But there are other areas of our profession that need to be protected as well. And sometimes it takes a level of confidence in yourself and in your growing firm to be able to actually get behind the word no and not do all the things. So one of the things that I struggled with for a very long time, I will I will admit is that you felt like as a full service firm, you know, that that word full service means I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do everything that walks in the door. And I am a CPA. And so I have the training and I'm allowed to do, you know, audits. I could do reviewed financial statements. I can do all the types of tax returns. I have the credentials to do that. And back in the day when I was starting out or when after my partnership kind of changed around 
back in the mid 2000s, 2010, I felt some pressure to be able to pay all my people, you know, so I have not just my livelihood, but I had some full-time staff on my payroll. And that meant whenever some work came through the door, a potential client, I felt like I had to say yes, no matter what it was. And I got myself into some situations where I was working on either projects that I didn't enjoy or that I really just wasn't qualified for. So just because I can do all the work doesn't mean I should do all the work. For example, recently we have had several referrals for trust work or estate work. And I have limited experience in it. I have worked on those types of returns, but they always stress me out. Every single time they stress me out. And not until the last couple of years when I was really working on the firm internal structure and what we do and what we don't do and and trying to brand myself better, I realized that we don't do trust work. That's just as a firm We don't do trust work. We're not going to do your irrevocable trust. We're not going to do your mom's estate. That is just not something that I like to do, which which means I have not actually spent any time training any of my team to do it. And I realized we don't have to do that. We don't have to do it. That is not a function of our firm that we feel that we need to embrace. That is something maybe we find somebody to refer it to. You know, there are some places that they can't stay in payroll. They don't have somebody in-house that likes payroll. They don't want the hassle of the payroll or the fact that it feels like you are tied down where how can I go on vacation if I'm processing payroll for people? You know, I'm going to have to do that while I'm on vacation, that type of thing. And so you don't have to do payroll. You can say that, no, I don't do that, but here are some resources where you can get your payroll done. Other things that we, I drew a hard line on immediately when I came, went out on my own, which was I don't do audited financial statements. Those have changed significantly over the last 20 years, and I had some limited experience with it in the first um, couple of CPA firms that I worked for, and since that time, it's became even more difficult. And most people don't need an audit unless it's, you know, a publicly traded type company, or there are some not-for-profits that need audits. Well, we just don't do audits. We will do up to a, we'll do compiled financial statements. We'll do reviewed financial statements. We won't do audits. And I just said, nope, that's a hard no. Now audits are, could be lucrative. They are something that there's a big price tag on those. And had an audit come across, you know, um, 15 years ago, would I have accepted it? Maybe, because those price tags are pretty high. But there's also a lot of risk there. And there's a lot of training involved. And those are not areas that I enjoy training. It's about like trust. I don't, neither one of those audits, trust, I don't want more continuing education in those areas. So those are types of services that I have said a hard no to. And I think every firm owner should really look at the services they provide and do 
an analysis of, are you good at it? Can you have some area of expertise in it? Do you like it? And is it something that is needed enough that you are kind of staying in the game with and determine what those services are for your firm that you would say, no, I, we don't do these services. And I think that's almost as important as defining what you do offer as services, knowing what you don't. And it's same with your industry analysis. There are some types of industries that I've worked with before and, and just don't want to do that type of industry again. Restaurants, they're kind of their own their own breed of industry as far as accounting. They have tips. They have um, a lot of cash payments when they're paying vendors out of the drawer when their um, food deliveries are happening or bar deliveries are happen- happening. So there are some industries like restaurants for us that I say, yeah, that's we're just not good enough. We don't do enough of it. We don't want to do enough of it. So we won't take that. Now, not only are there services that you need to identify that you won't take, but there's also sort of classes of clients. I don't know if they'd really be considered classes, but people like someone who hasn't filed their tax return in a number of years, and they show up and they need to get caught up for whatever reason. It it could be that they're going through a divorce. It could be that they're changing jobs or trying to buy a house. There's trying to get a loan. The IRS finally caught up with them and they need to get returns filed. Now, I used to take these clients and we call those non-filers and I would get them caught up and I would deal with the notices that come and the late notices that come and, and just help them through this. Well, was the problem with taking non-filers is a lot of times if they weren't, had the attitude that they weren't going to follow the deadlines in the past there's a good chance they're not going to continue to follow the deadlines going forward. They really become a cleanup project that doesn't really have long-term hope for you to continue to do the work and get paid. The other area of people are ones that they waited and waited and waited, and now they're contacting you with what they would consider their accounting emergency. In my firm, I say all the time, there are no emergencies in accounting. Nobody dies in accounting. It's not life or death. But there are people who will call you up and say, hey, I was referred to you, or I understand that you do you know, individual tax returns or bookkeeping, and I received this notice, and it needs to be responded to by tomorrow. I don't take those types of clients. Those are people who you know by the fact that they've actually contacted you so late that they don't prioritize things that are going to impact their accounting, their financing, their taxes. So I don't take those. And I don't even feel like I need to explain why I don't take those, but I definitely do not. But I used to. I used to take other people's emergencies and make them my priority. And at the time, it was very much probably a feeling of I needed to take this work that was coming in the door. I could charge a fee and that money, and maybe I'll charge it up front so that I don't get burned, but it becomes 
a issue of what about the clients that you already have? You're bumping their work aside in order to take on somebody else's emergency. And believe me, there are no emergencies in accounting. And over these last few weeks, when I've had the opportunity to talk to some people who have brought to me some work that I am just, I'm not interested in, I've been able to essentially tell them that, hey, this isn't my area of expertise, for instance, a trust. And I don't want to be in a position to take money from you in something that I can't give you my best because I'm just not comfortable or confident in it. Let me find somebody for you that can do it and refer it to another firm. And I think clients respect that. They respect the fact that you are not trying to be all things to them because they don't, they don't know my level of expertise on a trust return or an audit. They have no idea. And so to be honest with them and say, yeah, this isn't something I'm comfortable doing. Let's find you somebody who can do it well. And do you risk losing that client to another firm? Possibly. But I think the honesty outweighs the chance that the person might take their other work somewhere else. You know, this, this happened to be a client who was already a client of mine and needed some trust work done that, and I just did not want to take that on. Another one was, you know, a referral from a, who needed some help with a state that we don't work in. And I said, you know, I hate to charge you for something that I'm going to have to spend a lot of time getting up to speed, you know, which means I'm going to have to charge you a pretty high rate. And I'd rather you find someone who already knows that state and it can be an expert in that state. And I'm not afraid to say no on those instances. But it's important, you know, to start to find a person to refer them to or a firm to refer them to if you can. And I'll talk more about who I think firms should have as in their pocket for referrals towards the end of this podcast. But I will mention that if you are a people pleaser and you people pleasers know (laughs) that they're people pleasers, uh, this may be a really hard concept for you to get behind as far as you know, a client comes to you or a referral comes to you and it's something that you really, you know, you don't love doing that work. You don't, may not be passionate about doing that kind of work. You think you could do it. You know, you might have to do some research to do it and you just say yes, because you don't want to say no. And that becomes difficult because you may get yourself into a position of being resentful of that work, being resentful of those clients because you said yes to something that you weren't a hundred percent behind. And there are certain personality traits and people pleasers where they know that saying no is a difficult task for them. I'm not a people pleaser. I know that about myself and it still took me a long time to embrace the concept of saying no to certain tasks or referrals just you know, I mean, for various reasons, it could be the, you know, like I said, the reasons of I needed to keep enough revenues coming in to keep paying my team and paying myself. And there was that a little bit of that lack of confidence that something else would come along to help fill any voids that I said no to. And in addition to being able to identify what you want to say no to, like I said, I've embraced 
a little bit of the word no and recognize that it is an answer and it is a sentence. It doesn't need to be explained. When you tell someone no to something, it doesn't always have to come with a reason why. We are conditioned to soften the blow, I think, when we are in a position that we want to tell someone no. And because of that, we feel like we we spend a lot of time kind of giving some reasons of why something is a no for you. And I've listened to many podcasts and, you know, influencers and people in the industry and in other industries that say, you know, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. And whether that comes from um, an opportunity that is presenting for them, or if it comes to, you know, somebody inviting them to a vacation or even to dinner, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And again, easy to say, not always easy to do, but I have started to um, take advantage of the fact that I don't have to say yes to everything. And when I did that and started, like I said at the beginning, um, protecting my calendar, it freed me up to have more time for the things that were the hell yes. The more time for, you know, if I've got a trip planned, uh, you know, going racing for the weekend or visiting my daughter in college, I have said yes to that. And that was a hell yes. And by saying no and not allowing people to jump on my calendar just whenever is convenient for them, I have been able to embrace more of the joy in being able to do what I want to do. And I mean, I, like I said, early on, I, I took everything, all the work that came in, and I allowed communication methods to happen whenever and it was part of that learning curve of thinking, you know, I'm I'm a business owner now. I need to be available to my team. I need to be available to my clients. And that means I'm going to work all the time. And I literally worked six days a week for decade, more than a decade, probably easily worked six days a week. Even after I had Sam and, you know, I was a a working mom and thank goodness for my husband. And he took care of Sam during all the tax seasons. And, but I still worked six days a week beginning the year, the year she was born. And I, and kept up with that for many, many, many years. And it was, it took its toll, took its toll on my health, on my mental wellness. So I started to put some things in place to try to make it worth it. So when there was something that I wasn't super passionate about doing or a client that I didn't, you know, I could tell didn't really love, I started setting some prices that I thought would make it worth it to work on that client. So if I charge double what I normally charge, that'll make that worth it, even though it's a project that I don't don't love, don't have, you know, maybe need to spend a lot of time, you know, researching and learning and it was never worth it never so it took me a long time to value the fact that um i probably needed to raise my rates anyway but putting a premium on work that you don't love does not make it better 
or easier to do. It goes back to making you feel a little resentful for that. And I had a client and it was back, you know, after when I was kind of on my own and I was trying to figure out all the things to do to maintain my team. I had a bunch of full-time staff and myself and, you know, a child at home. And, you know, I had all these, these things going on and I had a client that I just, they were referred to me by another business consultant. And so at the time I felt I needed to take them. They were in an industry that yes, I worked in, but I really knew that that was, they were a client that personality wise, we weren't a great mix. So picture just about every Monday morning, getting an email from a client and the subject line every single time was just the word urgent, just the word urgent and never anything else in the subject line to say what was urgent, but every week there was something that was urgent. And I had priced this client one of the highest monthly rates I had done probably at that point. And so it it felt very much like it was going to be, it's going to be fine. You know, even if they, it's not a good personality fit, it'll be fine. But when I would get these emails that constantly said urgent. And of course, like I said before, there's no emergencies in accounting. So there's nothing that is that urgent. I mean, I went back, you know, when I create a rule in my outlook and and all of these emails were going into their, their folder, you go in there and you didn't, you couldn't find any emails, you know, because the subject line was all the same for years. I had this client for years And this was probably the first, one of the very first instances where I let a client go. I fired them. I let them know that I couldn't continue to do their work. And it was scary to to let them know that. But they used the word no. And they told me I couldn't fire them. And that threw me for a loop. I'm like, wait a second. Wait, wait, this is my company. I can decide who I'm going to do the work for or not. And you can't tell me that I can't fire you. It was very difficult time because I thought, wait, you know, do they, can they make me do this? And then I realized, no, they were again in their world. They were more important and they, everything was urgent and I worked for them and they really were kind of treating me more of a employee to them even though I was an outsourced business that had my own company in no way, shape or form was I their employee, but they absolutely thought that I could not fire them. And let me tell you, I did fire them. I, I successfully told them that, yes, I can stop doing your work and I am going to stop doing your work. And it was empowering, but it was also, I will admit, should have been done much sooner. And in fact, when I knew that there was going to be a personality mismatch, I shouldn't have taken the client to begin with. I should have said no. That's a lesson learned. And that is maturing in my business. And that is also maturing as a person being able to realize I don't need to say yes to everything. But along those lines, though, since then, I have put a very short out clause in my contracts. And it's very basic. It is essentially either party, me or the client, can discontinue services with 10 days 
notice. That's it. 10 days. And I've used it before. And I've also included language in there uh, uh, kind of around the fees, you know, fees won't be prorated or or whatever language I need to put in there where I'm not going to give them refunds for part years or whatever. But having that very short out clause became very important to me when last year when I had some health issues and I really needed to be able to step away from the practice for a period of time. I had a a client that had recently changed ownership and I had to make the hard decision to say, you know, it was a, a pretty large client and I was doing the majority of the work on the client. The new ownership was not as up to speed. We weren't being able to do things as efficiently. And I just said, we can't keep this client. I can't knowing that we can't give our best to it and I can't give our best to it and we had no history with the new owners. I just said, we can't, we're not going to do it. And it was scary, but it was also one of those things that I learned from the 2010 incident with my client that wouldn't let me fire them to do it quickly. I, I didn't let this one linger. I knew that if I let this one linger while I was not a hundred percent and able to supervise the work and handle kind of the, with kid gloves, the new ownership that they might take advantage of my team. They could maybe um, blame us for something. And so I, I just didn't feel comfortable keeping them, but let me tell you, it was another case of letting them know, Hey, you know, we can't continue this to be your, contractor, but we will help you transition to another firm over the next several weeks. I was told it was super inconvenient for them. And I understand that they expected me to stay on and thought that I should stay on. But again, my company, I get to choose who I work with and who I don't. And so we managed to successfully offboard them. And we worked with their new firm in getting them all the information they needed. And I believe the transition was fairly seamless, even though they were resistant at the time. But I do pride myself on the fact that I didn't let that one linger. I knew when the ownership changed hands that I probably, I was going to have to make a decision, but I was going to give it time. And then with my health issues, it accelerated it. And Not that I wish that on anyone or even myself to have had to go through cancer diagnosis. It did prompt me to make decisions like this one more timely than I normally would have. And that is what I'm taking away from that now as I'm I'm into this busy season and we're getting a lot of referrals and a lot of work. I am much quicker now to be able to say, yep. No, we don't do that. Nope, we don't want to work with that. And in relation to that, I mean, you really need to have a very good method of determining if a new client is coming in your, if they come into your sales funnel and you need to figure out, is this somebody I need to work with? We have implemented over the last 12 months a a discovery call. For most clients, anybody who needs more than just an individual tax return, and even some who just need an individual tax return, we will put through a discovery call so that you can really start to get some insight into their personality. Discovery calls can be enlightening based on 
how the you're, you're able to, to get some some personality traits from people. If someone gets on the call and they're irritable, they're aggravated because they had to call you or they think their work is an emergency. We know how those work. I mentioned that before. We don't do emergencies or they're constantly interrupting you. Or I had an instance where a husband and a wife were both on the other end. And we and these are just phone calls. I'm not doing these by Zoom. The wife was constantly interrupting her husband. And I was like, oh my gosh, that I felt bad for the guy and I didn't even know him. But you can really start to suss out some of the personality traits that you are willing to work with and that you are, aren't willing to work with. And I've had to make some you know, some decisions on whether or not I even wanted to move forward with some clients. And I've, there's a a few things that I've come up with that kind of soften the blow a little bit, even though I know that I said that no is a sentence and you shouldn't have to make any type of a reasoning behind it. There are professional ways to let people know that you don't want to work with them. So politely. And one of those phrase like, it sounds like you need immediate attention to this and we can't fit you in for X number of weeks or X number of months. That typically, you know, if they're not willing to wait or if they've made it sound like they need help with this immediately, this, you know, please, you need to take care of this tomorrow. That usually puts people to a position of, hey, these aren't a right fit. The other thing, like I mentioned, um, I say things like that's not really our area of expertise and I wouldn't want you to pay for something that I can't give my best to. Now that allows me to be able to flip that around and I want them to be able to get the best they can in that specific area and it's not me. And you can really say this uh, on anything. I had a client, a potential client, call about some, I want to say it was like some short sales on stock trading. That is not my go-to. I know the minimum I need to know. And he was looking for an immediate answer on, oh, I only have three days to make this decision on something. And I was like, yeah, that is absolutely not my area of expertise. And you need to find somebody who can give you their, their best. And so that really worked out to be able to let them down gently because when you're getting clients that are referred by resources that you trust, you sometimes feel like you have some obligation to take that client because of the referral source. But you really have to understand that a lot of running your business has to do with working with people who are a good fit for your firm. And so as someone who refers to people and someone who gets referrals, I think there you know, is an understanding that even though someone referred somebody to me, doesn't mean I'm going to take them. And I feel the same way about when I refer someone to someone else, doesn't mean they have to take them. And, but you need to be able to have some wording that you can use. The bottom line of it is if, if it's really someone you do not want to move forward with, you just say, hey, you know, after after this conversation, I don't think we're a great we're a great fit for your needs. You don't have to call them out on the fact that they, you know, spent 20 minutes interrupting their spouse. You don't have to, you know, say, hey, you know, I can definitely tell you're going to be a problem child. You just say, hey, we're not a great fit for your needs. And 
then you kind of can push them into a your referral network if you feel like you have someone that could be a good fit for them. But you also can say, hey, you're not a good fit for us. And I just don't have anybody in my referral network right now that I think would fit what you need. And you're not under an obligation to find a service provider for clients who you are not currently working with. You don't. You don't have to be the person that is connecting everyone. So also along those lines, I talked about the referral network. And within the accounting industry, I have found that having a referral network is invaluable. I also have found that I am severely lacking in some of my areas as far as having someone that I could refer people to. So some of the the areas that I refer out to, um, tax preparation for um, trusts and also for consolidated returns. So there's, you know, I've had some very, very big clients. And I would say that that those clients that are too big for me are ones that would have a consolidated return. And maybe we are doing some other type of advisory work for them, or maybe we are working with them in their QuickBooks file, if they're still in QuickBooks, and they just, we, we just say, yeah, we can't prepare those taxes. So I have someone that I can refer tax preparation for things that either we don't do, like trusts, estates, or clients that are too large for us. The other thing would be a resource for for us, for financial statements, for anything higher level than a review. We have another CPA firm that we refer to. I believe you also should have someone that you can refer business valuations to. If you work with small businesses, small to mid-sized businesses, there's always comes a time when there's some sort of exit strategy that gets discussed if you've had them long enough. And I've done a handful of business valuations years ago, probably at least 20 years ago, and it's its whole own industry at this point. And so having someone that in your area that handles business valuations is very important, in my opinion. Um, If you don't do payroll, make sure you have some place you refer payroll out to. Typically, if you're not doing it in-house as an accounting or bookkeeping office, you're re- you're referring that out to a payroll service provider as opposed to another bookkeeping firm. The other thing, people that you might have in your referral network could be wealth management, um, people that handle you know high-end wealth management individuals, financial planners. I I always have some. I have. Make sure that I always have some female-run or female financial planners or actually in any of these areas because I do run into clients that would prefer to work with a, a female with when they are dealing with their financial information. And then an attorney. Uh, for both business and personal, it would be great to have an attorney that you can refer people to for changes to operating agreements, setting up entities, creating wills, trusts, etc. Now, of these, I have consistently, I have for the CPA firms to refer tax preparation, financial statements, and financial planners. Uh, We handle payroll, so I don't really have a source for outsourcing the payroll. And I don't have a lot of wealth management or attorneys, 
or business valuation people. So I know I need to work on my referral network, but this gives you a good list of people that you, you know, when you run into someone who's in any of these areas, it would be great to have a conversation with them and say, hey, you know, do you do this type of work? These are the types of clients that I sometimes get that may need this type of work. Who do they like to work with? And see if you can add them to your referral network for being able to pass work on. And and yes, you would love to get referrals from these people. But for me, I spend a lot of time needing to give my clients or even my potential clients another choice or a someone who can handle this because we don't handle it. And I would love to have, you know, a group of people that I can just refer my clients to, because it could be that it ends up being that, you know, one of these people is their perfect fit. And that's why you have, um, you set up a referral network. Now, the only other piece of saying no that I want to um, address and get confidence in is kind of the other side of the coin, which is not telling people know that you don't want them as clients, but when you do want somebody as a client and you've sent them a proposal or given them a price quote, you have to be willing to accept a no. Now, um, I'm working through a class right now with uh, the Woodard Institute with Joe Woodard, and it's on strategic pricing. And one of the things he talked about yesterday was you really have to be in a position to not care if they walk away, meaning you're going to give them the price quote. And if they say no, you're okay with that. You know, never enter into this sales process in a position that you have to have it because that one, it puts you at a disadvantage and two, it puts you more emotionally involved in the whole process. And so by saying, you know, don't care if they walk away, you have priced yourself where you feel you need to be. And there's lots of pricing strategies and I am, that's what I'm learning in this class. So I'm not going to talk about the options there, but you need to be confident in the the numbers that you give them, have a minimum that you're willing to, to do the work for. And if they don't, they want it less than that, be able to walk away. Of course, that means you need to be setting your prices high enough on a regular basis that they that that you're able to pay your bills and that every single account is not a make or break on your whether or not you're going to make your payroll. But you have to have that mindset that you need someone to come in willing to pay you the amount that you have deemed is what you want to receive for this and not question Things like, well, can they afford it? You know, can I do the work? Should I discount it because they're kind of, they're struggling? They really need my help, but I don't know that they can really afford it. Whether or not they can afford it is not up to you. Um, Whether or not they can afford it is their business decision and what value they are putting on the services that you are providing. And so you need to not essentially dumb down your proposal or even lowball it or discount it because of what you think that someone is going to feel about the price that you're giving them, which means you have to not care if they walk away. And I will tell you, 
that I struggle with this. I'll just be honest. I struggle with second guessing how much I should charge people who are coming into my firm. And I know that I have discounted rates because I think they're not going to want to pay that. I better, I better take this down a notch. And I know that that is because I am caring if they walk away and I need to change that mindset. So I wanted to share that with you so that you can also think about that. The next time you're proposing to someone and you have set your prices and if you're anything like me, you you set the price and then you go, oh, maybe I should knock that down a little bit. Next time, don't knock it down. Send it out, see what they say and don't care if they walk away. All right, so all of these things relating to the word no, being able to accept a no, being able to give a no, being able to gently let some potential clients or even existing clients down and and say, no, I'm not going to do your work anymore or I'm not going to bring you on as as a client. It's a skill and it is something that you learn over time and I'm still a constant work in progress when it comes to it, but I think it becomes very important in building the business that you love and that you are passionate about. And so that's why I feel like this is a topic that I needed to give some attention to because I'm all about wanting you to get to a point that you love the business that you're in. Okay, everybody, that's all I have. I will talk to you next week. Until then, have a great week. And if you need me, you know where to find me. Thanks for listening. I always end my weekly team meetings with have a great week. If you need me, you know where to find me. And I realized I said that. And with this whole podcasting thing, it's new. And you may not know where to find me. Go to accountingwithconfidence.com and while you're there, sign up for six easy ways to reclaim time in your accounting firm and that will keep us connected. Have a great week.